Morning Christ Community Chapel. My name is John and I am the pastor and church planter of Wingfoot Church here in Goodyear Heights in the city of Akron. Hey, I wanna say thank you for supporting the work of church planting across Northeast Ohio, for being a part of launching Wingfoot Church here uh, and Story Church in Mayfield Heights. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Well, good morning, CCC. I'm glad that you're here. My name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors uh, here on staff, and I'm so glad you're with us, whether you're here with me in the West service, you're watching over in East service, or watching online. Thanks for being here. Uh, if you've been coming uh, for the last few weeks, you might have seen that scripture reading and said, wait a minute, that's not the gospel of John, uh, and you are right. I hope you've been enjoying that series as we slow down, take 10 weeks to look at the first 18 verses of the Gospel of John. I know I have. It's been terrific. Really looking forward to continuing it. Our rhythm here is to get about five weeks into a sermon series and then take a break. Just helps us refocus, helps us reset uh, and connect into the next five weeks a little bit better. And what we like to do is in the middle, stop and draw a connection. Like for example, the Jesus we've been learning about in the Gospel of John chapter one is the same Jesus who said these words that we just heard read in Matthew 28. There's an obvious link between them. And so it, it, we, what we're doing as a church is saying, hey, the Jesus we've been learning about, uh, he is the reason why church planting, starting local churches around Northeast Ohio, is such an important part of who we are as a church. And so the goal this weekend is to talk a little bit about why we're so serious and so committed about planting local churches. Uh, by the way, it is, uh, you probably don't remember this, it's been forever ago, but I first spoke to you about church planting, about the Orchard Network in January of 2019. If you're like me, that feels like 25 years ago, right? A lot has happened, including, of course, a pandemic since then. But I do want you to know all that God has been doing. Between that date and this one, we have launched both Wingfoot Church in Goodyear Heights and Story Church in Mayfield Heights, now fully independent, autonomous local churches, and we're two weeks away from starting our third one, The Grove in Shaker Heights. Isn't that amazing? What an amazing thing uh, that God has done. And listen, I want you to know, I'm the guy up here with the microphone, but it's a team that has been involved in that, the Orchard team. Our entire staff has contributed. So I'm really here speaking on all of their behalfs. So what an amazing thing that God has done. And by the way, I'm not even, I haven't even counted the fact that our Aurora campus has now become Silver Creek Church, a fully independent autonomous church that is killing it in Aurora. We love hearing the great things that God is doing there through Pastor Todd and the team. What an amazing thing to be part of. And I want you to know why, why we think it's so important. That's what this morning is all about. So if you have a Bible, would you take it out and open it to Matthew chapter 28, 
verses 16 through 20, as we look at those verses that Pastor John just read so well uh, for us. Uh, If you're online, just open up the web browser and Google Matthew 28 and be there so that we can look at it together. And as you're turning or uh, opening that browser, let me point you to uh, my outline that I'm going to use to help us navigate our time together. Okay, three points, very simple. They go like this. I want to talk about God's heart, God's plan, and God's invitation. Okay, God's heart, God's plan, and God's invitation. All right, let's start with God's heart. Before I show you God's heart in this passage, I want to talk a little bit about us, a little bit about human nature. And the reason why is because I think the more we understand ourselves, the more we're going to be able to see the beauty in these verses. There are two things that are true of what it means to be human. The first is that we are highly relational creatures. We crave relationship. We want relationship. We do best when we are in relationship. But here's the second thing that's true. Relationships are hard. Relationships are hard. Friendship is hard. This is something I'm learning the older I get. I feel like, at least for me, the older you get, the harder it is to figure out friendships. The the busier you get at work, you have a few kids, they have their own schedules, you're running them from thing to thing, from activity to activity. It is really hard to keep up with your friends. It's hard to spend the time it takes to nurture and grow a friendship. And so what ends up happening is you can miss each other. You can lose track of each other. Then you add in the fact that I'm a sinner, and so naturally I can lose friends with things I say or things I do. And don't even think about starting new friendships. I have no idea what that looks like at my station of life. It sounds intimidating and overwhelming and something I could never fit in my schedule. Relationships, friendships are hard, particularly as you get older. And so what that means then is we are relational creatures who are slowly over time losing our relationships. And the result of that can be that we're pretty lonely, pretty isolated, but also pretty settled. This is how it is. This is what it looks like. Your friends move away. They move on. They pass away. And over time, you're left with fewer and fewer people that you know, that you care about. And and that's not just a you thing. That's a me thing, too. Like, for example, I told you that last year, around June, I started playing golf. I feel like I should do air quotes when I say playing golf. I am on the course with a club. I don't know if you would call what I do golf. But I have played since June till now, excluding you know the time that snows on the ground, I've played about once a week or once every other week since then, just trying to get better and enjoying it. That's a lot of golf. Do you know how many people I've played with? Two. Two. Because the idea of widening that circle is really intimidating to me. I don't know if I play poorly. Will I embarrass myself? I, will they find my jokes funny? Will we have anything to talk about? Will we get to like the third hole and they'll be thinking, I've made a terrible mistake? Right? It's incredibly intimidating. Maybe you felt that way. I have a circle of people I play golf with and it is what it is. Well, if you have felt that way, you're not alone. 
In fact, a British psychologist named Robin Dunbar came up with a whole theory about this. He calls it Dunbar's number. You can kind of see a visual representation of it in the, on the screen behind me. But Robin Dunbar says this. He says that the average human is in connection with about 150 other people. Those are people you'd recognize if you saw their faces, people whose paths you cross pretty regularly. But if you move towards real relationship, that number gets smaller and smaller and smaller. So that part of what it means to be human is you have a relational capacity. Most of us really only have space for about three to five friends, real friends, meaningful friendships. And Dunbar says that that's just true. We have a capacity. And he says that as we get older and people leave that inner circle, we don't replace them. So over time, not only do we have a capacity, but we are losing people and there are less and less people in our circle. We all kind of get to a point where we say, this is my circle and I'm not really looking to expand. Now here's why that's so important. Because when we tend to think about God, we tend to think about him as though he is like us. We think about him like he is as big human in the sky this is why when you watch movies or television and they, they have a God character, it's always a guy or girl like us. They talk like us, look like us, act like us. That's because that's the easiest way for us to conceive of God. He's just like us, only he is God. And so what we're tempted to think is that like us, God has a particular relational circle and he's cool with it. He's comfortable with it. He doesn't want to add to it. And this is why, by the way, some of the most insular communities are religious communities. Because what they're saying is God has his people. We are his people, and he's cool with that. In the same way that I play golf with the same one or two people, God isn't looking to expand. But here's the thing. Jesus tells us in these verses that God isn't like us. In fact, he's the opposite of us. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew 28, verse 19. It says, all, or I'm sorry, verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Jesus says these words, after he has risen from the dead, before he ascends into heaven. These are kind of his parting words to his disciples. And I want you to think about what you might expect him to say. You might expect him to say something like this. Hey guys, you are my inner circle. You have been there from day one. Yes, at the end, you weren't at your best, but you came around. We're in a good place now. And I'm getting ready to leave. I'm going to come back. But until then, I want you to find a safe place to kind of hunker down, keep your head down, don't talk to anyone, and wait for me. But that isn't what he says. Instead, here's what he says. Hey, I want you to leave here and to go to all the nations and tell them who I am and invite them into the circle. 
What's interesting, by the way, is when he says, go therefore into all the nations, in the original language, he has in mind not nation states like United States, Mexico, Canada, but actual people groups. So we tend to think, as Americans, we tend to think that everyone in America is an American. Everyone in Canada is a Canadian. But actually, each nation is made up of a variety of people groups. So the, the nation India, for example, has over a billion people, but also over 2,000 different people groups, speaking different languages with different cultures. So Jesus says, I want you to go not just to all the countries, but I want you to find all the different people groups of the world, and I want you to bring them in to what God is doing. In other words, here's what he's saying. I want to widen the circle. I'm not content that just you guys know what's happening. I'm not content that you're a part of what God is doing. I want to keep widening the circle. And every time you meet a new people group, I just want you to keep going. More. Yes, them and them. Bring them into what we're doing. Widen the circle. I want you to notice something even cooler. Is Look at what he says. He says, go into all the nations. Make disciples of all the nations. Baptize them. And then this is what he says. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. In other words, here's what he's saying. When I tell you, disciples, I want to widen the circle, I don't mean like the peripheral circle. I want to bring them into the very middle. Everything that I've told you, I want you to tell them. All the stories, all the experiences you had with me, all the private moments, all the cool things you saw God do, don't keep any of them to yourself. You are not the inner circle on your own. I want the inner circle to widen and widen and widen so that everyone from all the nations will know everything there is to know about me. I want to widen the inner circle. Listen, this is what Jesus is saying. This is who God is. You and I settle into the relationships we have. We're content with the relationships we have. We're not looking to expand. It's awkward and uncomfortable and hard. But God, God is always seeking to widen the circle, always seeking to include more and more people in what he is doing. It's just who he is. Jesus gives us another indicator of that. When he says the coolest thing, and this is what he says in Matthew 28, verse 19, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's Trinitarian language. One God in three persons. Three persons, one God. See, the Bible tells us that before there was anything, there was God. And God was one and yet Three, God was in relationship with himself, Father with Son and Spirit, Son with Father and Spirit, Spirit with Father and Son. One God in three persons, an inner circle, if you will, of relationship. But God always wanted to share who he was. So in the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, if you're comfortable with flipping in your Bible, you can flip there with me. If not, I'm going to throw it up on the screen behind me. But Genesis chapter 1, in the creation of man, verses 26 and 27, I want you to hear the circle-widening language. Listen to what it says. Verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image. That's singular and plural. Do you hear that? God, 
singular, let us, our, plural, one God, three persons. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female he created them. You see, the Bible tells us that the creation of man came out of God's desire to widen the circle of relationship. He wanted to share himself. That's who he is. He's not like us. Now, there are two big implications of this, and I don't want you to miss them. Here's the first implication. This means if you're here and you are a Christian... You are only a Christian today because between the moment of Matthew 28 and right now, God has widened the circle thousands of times. God has continued to push his people to say it is not enough that we know, it is not enough that we are part of what God is doing, but God wants to include and God wants to widen so that we sit here today on a continent that his original audience did not even know existed and yet are part of what God is doing because God has widened his circle. Your story doesn't begin with you. It doesn't even begin with your conversion. It begins with God's desire to widen and widen and widen until every people group is included, including yours. But here's the second thing. This means if you're here this morning and you're not yet a Christian, if you're watching online and you're not yet a Christian, God's desire is very much to widen his circle and include you. It can be very tempting if you are not a Christian and you come to a Christian service to feel like we are on the inside and you are on the outside and, and you can be around us, but you can't be part of us. Boy, we're so bad about giving off that vibe. And I'm so sorry. I'm sorry for the way I do it. But I want you to know that's not who God is. His desire is always to include, always to widen, always to bring in. It's just his heart. It's who he is. So how's he do it? Well, that's my second point. What's his plan? If that's his heart, widen the circle, what's his plan? How is he going to do it? Well, I want you to notice in these verses, he doesn't tell us. In Matthew 28, there's no methodology. He just says, go to all the nations, make disciples, baptize them and teach them. He makes it sound so easy, so simple. You want to ask him, okay, yeah, sure, but how? How? How do we do this? Aren't there like five steps or seven steps or something that you can give us that we can go replicate in order for this to happen? How do we do this? He doesn't say. And so it is tempting to think, well, if he doesn't say, maybe it doesn't matter. We can do it any way we want. Whatever gets the job done, that is the way to do it. I think there's a little truth to that. I'll come back to that in a minute. But here's what I want you to notice. If you continue to read the New Testament, what you find is while there's no singular methodology in these verses, there is a singular plan or approach in the story of the New Testament. You see it over and over and over again. It's enough that it makes you think that even though Jesus doesn't tell them how here, he must have told them how somewhere. Because after all, in Acts 2, after the Holy Spirit falls, Peter shows us the pattern. 
Peter gets up to preach. He talks about Jesus. Some people, 3,000 of them, believe. He gathers those people, starts a church, they live as a church, and the circle widens. In fact, in Acts 2, we're told the Lord added to their number daily. And that pattern, preach, gather, start a church, live as a church, widen the circle, will repeat over and over and over again. It's what you'll see in the book of Acts in the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul. He'll show up in a city. He'll preach. He'll gather those who believe. They will start a church. They'll live as a church. And the circle will widen. That's why, by the way, most of the New Testament is Paul writing to churches that he or someone on his team started. Churches that were started out of preaching. Living as a church expanding as the circle widens. It's what you see when Paul writes young pastors like Timothy in First and Second Timothy and Titus. And Paul is telling them, here's what I want you to do, especially Titus. He says, Titus, all over the island of Crete, here's what I want you to do. Start churches. Live as a church. Watch the circle widen. Jesus himself, in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, will write seven letters to seven churches challenging or encouraging them based on how they are following this pattern. Here's my point. The New Testament makes implicitly clear what Jesus must have made explicitly clear to his disciples. God's heart is to widen the circle. His plan to do that is church planting. It's the starting of local churches that will tell their neighbors about Jesus, that will live out the gospel of Jesus in a city so that the circle would widen. That's what we see time and time again. That's why it's so important for you to hear me say that the Orchard Network did not design this strategy. The Orchard Network is designed to to help church planners show up in a neighborhood, preach Jesus, gather believers, start a church, live as a church, watch the circle widen. That is not our methodology. That is not our strategy. That is the New Testament. We're simply looking at it and saying, this is what God did time and time again. We want to be part of what he is doing. We want to be part of his heart to widen the circle and his plan through church planning. That's why it's so important for you to hear me say that as a church at CCC, we plant churches to reach people who do not have a relationship with Jesus. That's the goal. That's the mission. People say to me, Zach, what about churches in these neighborhoods? Listen, I think any church that preaches about Jesus is great. Praise God for that church. It's a team, they're teammates on the mission. My dad is the pastor of a small church. My father-in-law just retired as the pastor of a small church. They were they're men who loved Jesus, who sought to expand the circle through the ministry of their church. Any church that's about that is on our team. But here's the reality. I was part of a church planning team in Cleveland. God blessed the work we were doing very much. It was an incredible team to be part of. At our height, we had some services with as many as 500 people, from zero to 500. What an amazing thing that God had done. But in our immediate neighborhood alone, there were 44,000 people. That means even on our best Sunday, There were 43,500 people in our neighborhood who didn't even know we existed. 
Our neighborhood didn't need one church. It needed 25 of them that would reach different kinds of people, that would expand the circle. Here's the reality. You and I, because of the way we're wired, as Dunbar says, the way we're wired is to say, 500 people, that's great. That's our circle. But God never takes his eyes off the 43,500. What about them? How are they going to be included? How are they going to be part of what God is doing? Sometimes also people will say to me, but Zach, what about, what about other organizations? What about parachurch ministries? What about campus ministries? Aren't there lots of ways to fulfill the Great Commission? Does it have to be a church? Look, anybody who participates in the mission of Jesus is on my team and is somebody we're going to celebrate. But here's an analogy that will help you think about this. I've told you before, my wife Amy and I have five kids. The mission that God has given us to steward these kids is to raise them to be the kind of people he's called them to be, to point them to their need for Jesus, to raise them to be responsible, kind, loving, conscientious citizens. I mean, right now we would settle for a mostly clean room and them knowing where their pants are. But, but we have lofty goals. It's our job to raise them well. That's our job. Now, along the way, for the 18 years we have them, a lot of people are going to contribute to that mission. Coaches, teachers, tutors, some of you in children's ministry, in junior high ministry, in high school ministry. And I'm so grateful for each and every person who speaks into the life of my child. And when they leave the house at 18, I will say, I'm so glad for the team effort it took to get them here. I'm so glad for what you do in the lives of my children. And yet, the responsibility to raise them is mine. In the same way, Many organizations will come alongside the church and help the church to accomplish its mission. Praise God for every one of them. Praise God for your stories of meeting Christ in a campus ministry. Praise God for that. But listen to me. The mission that he gives here is the responsibility of the church. It is his plan to accomplish his heart. But that leads to a third question. What does that mean for each one of us? That's my third point, actually, to tell you about God's invitation. Listen, the first thing I want you to know is that the Bible does something really cool. In Matthew 28, Jesus says to his disciples, go into all the nations and make disciples. Now, their geographic knowledge at this point would have been so limited, okay? They would have had no concept of Southeast Asia or what's Russia or Northern Europe or certainly North America, South America, no concept of that. So when he tells them to go to all the nations, they're probably thinking, oh, Samaria or Egypt or that kind of thing. But God never took his eye off the global purpose. And what's really cool, in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, again, if you're comfortable turning in your Bible, meet me at Revelation 5. If not, it's going to be on the screen behind you, so don't worry. Revelation chapter 5. I want you to see that in the very last book of the Bible, they are singing a song about Jesus in heaven. And I want you to connect the song they're singing to Matthew 28. Really cool. I want you to see this. So you got Matthew 28, go into all the nations, make disciples. Every people group, every tribe, every tongue. Well, here's the song they're singing in heaven in Revelation 5, verse 9. And they sang a new song saying, 
Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Do you see what's happening? In Matthew 28, Jesus is giving the mission. But in Revelation 5, they are celebrating the fact that what God has started, he will ultimately accomplish. God will widen the circle until someone from every people group is included. Here's what that means. Every single dollar, action, word, prayer that we give in pursuit of the Great Commission is never wasted. Because it is a mission that will not fail. I want you to hear that. So whatever your role is and what God is doing to widen the circle through his plan, the local church, whatever you're doing, it is not wasted. Here's another thing I want you to see. I go back to Matthew 28. I want you to see that all I'm really saying to you, all Jesus is saying to you, is if you want him, you're going to find him on mission. Look at what he says in verse 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. In other words, he goes, I am the king. And here's what the king wants. Widen the circle until everyone's included. So you see, if you and I desire to live under the authority of King Jesus, to be a part of the power of King Jesus, we're going to find it in fulfilling his mission. But look at what he says in the last verse, verse 20. After he's given them the mission, he says, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He says, you want me to be with you? You want my presence? Here's where you find it. Go chase the Great Commission. You see, the power and the presence of Jesus is connected to God's plan to widen the circle. If we want to be around Jesus, we're going to find him on mission to plant churches. So what does that mean for us individually? What does that mean practically? Well, here's the first thing, and it's so easy. Contribute to the ministry of this church. Volunteer. Show up. Be part of what God is doing. I saw Pastor Todd this weekend in the staff hallway. He was here meeting with someone. He's the guy that went to the Aurora campus and has now led it to become Silver Creek Church and is just doing an amazing job, which shouldn't surprise you if you know him. And one of the things I love about Todd is he's always saying that he loves this church. And he says because he would never have become who he's become without the contributions of people here. The people who loved him in children's ministry, who told him about Jesus in student ministry, who mentored him when he was a young adult, who encouraged him when he was on staff. You see, without even realizing it, as you love Todd and his family, you contributed to the mission of God to widen the circle. I'd like to believe right now in the children's ministry hallway, someone is changing the diaper on a future church planner. I mean that. I mean that. We had dodgeball night last night. 230 kids came to play dodgeball and get connected to our church. Yeah, praise God. We can clap for that. We can clap for that. Listen, listen, I would like to think that last night a future church planner was getting hit in the face with a dodgeball. <laughs> you see, when you pour into the ministry here, you are saying to God, this has always been what you've done, God. You've started a church. That church has lived as a church, and you've widened the circle. You have no idea the impact that you're making when you show up to various ministries. 
But I also want to challenge you to be part of church planning directly. Let me give you five ways you can do that. Okay, very quickly. If you, if you have not written down a single thing, please write this down. Five things. Here's number one. Pray for them. Church planning is incredibly hard. Families like Ray and Nicole Byrne have moved from a place that was home to a neighborhood that they don't know in order to fulfill the Great Commission, to meet people, which is intimidating and overwhelming, and begin relationships with people, which is hard, to have spiritual conversations with them, which is even harder to launch a brand new church, which is incredibly hard. They have not moments of discouragement, seasons of discouragement, Would you pray for them regularly? Would you pray for them? Here's the second thing. Love on them when they're here. Listen, for the first year of the Orchard program, church planners are here. They're in the atrium. They attend services. Their kids go to church with your kids. Take them to dinner. Ask them when the last time they had a date night was. Volunteer your teenagers as babysitters. Put a card in the mail and put money in it saying to them, we love you, we appreciate you, we have your back, we're for you. You'll never know how much that means. Here's the third way. Show up. Show up. They're always having events around the church, preview services, information sessions. Even if you don't plan on going with them, show up. Smile. Encourage them. Tell them you think you're doing a, they're doing a great job. Be a friend. Here's the fourth way. Go with them. Go with them. Listen, we don't want to lose you. We're like every other human organization. We like to keep people in our circle. We're good with who we have. But that's not who God is. Some of you, God's going to say, I want to widen the circle. I want your family to move. And I want you to be a part of widening the circle in these neighborhoods. Don't resist that. The Christian life is an adventure. Don't miss that. Now, if you don't know what to do with those four things, here's a fifth one you can aim at right away. Next week, you'll see it on the screen behind me. Next week, over in East Hall at 5 p.m., we're going to have a commissioning service for the Grove. They are going to put on a service. It's going to be their last preview service here before they launch in two weeks. And we are going to lay hands on them. We're going to pray for them. And you are going to show up. And your presence alone is going to be so meaningful to them. It's in East Hall. I hope so many of you show up. We have to come over here. I don't even know if we can do that logistically. But we're going to figure it out. Because showing up says you are on our team. We are for you. But more than that, more than that, do you know what it says? God's heart is slowly and surely becoming my heart. I want to see his circle widen. And I believe the way he does that is through planting churches just like this. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you for who you are. I'm so glad you're not like me. You don't settle into your circle and say, these are the people I have, I don't need any more. You're always looking to widen the circle. God, keep us from making you like us. Instead, Holy Spirit, make us like you. Always being thankful for who is here, but being brokenhearted for who's not. Putting our lives on the table and saying, whatever you need, Jesus, I want your your power in your presence, your kingship and your presence. Use me in your mission to start churches for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.